This Life, a podcast about issues and people that inspire me, John Naples Campbell. People have always said I should write a book, but why write a book when I can spill the tea with guests each week? Jane Badler burst onto our screens in the late 1970s, but her breakthrough performance of Diana in 1980 sci-fi hit V made her a household name. Since then, she has paved a career on stage and screen, as well as a recording artist and an activist for acceptance, the LGBT community and much more. So, I ask that you grab a cup of tea and sit back and listen to this week's chat with my friend and inspiration, Jane Badler. Let's say a huge welcome to Jane, Jane Badler, um, who is an icon of TV and screen in general. Um, She was ranked number eight of all-time villains by Channel 4 um, and TV Online. Um, And I am so honoured to be talking to you today because you have been an idol of mine. Um, And um, I remember when I was a child watching V at home. Um, My mum loved it. um, and I was able to stay up and watch it. And then when I went to drama school, um, we were we were looking at Brecht, and our lecturer brought up V, um, basically basically saying that um, he was talking about Brecht and fearing and fear and misery of the Third Reich, and basically turned around and said, "So there was an adaptation in the 1980s called V." has anyone seen it and I put up my hand and went it's one of my favorite programs um and the whole and the whole lecture was about freedom misery of the third reich and how v was connected to it so that was really really interesting so anyway that was like that's me getting off point so jane welcome to my podcast well i almost um, met you I almost met you in Scotland. I was yes. almost coming to the Edinburgh Fest. Edinburgh I know, Festival. I know, and that, and like that's, and like that's how we kind of got in touch. Was I'm um, your your singing career and your cabaret career um, really kind of interested me, and um, I wanted to bring you over, and it didn't, and it just didn't work out. Um, but um, but we would love to have you in Scotland because um, well, you're one day, one day. <laughs> I haven't been doing too much singing lately, but you never know. I might get back to it. Yeah, know? kind of post-COVID, <laughs> let's get you over here. Um, yeah. so, so, Jane, you were so you were born in New York. You were born in Brooklyn. Um, and then you went to drama school. Um, and you were also Miss New Hampshire as well. Is that correct? And not in that order. No. So what? So so like, were you part of the kind of beauty pageant scene? Did you go around all the kind of beauty pageants? Was that like, was that your life for your teenage well, years? Well, I wouldn't say it was my life because I was quite rebellious at eighteen. Okay. Okay. But um, you know, it was kind of like I thought it would be a lovely pathway into uh, being an actress, which is what I always wanted to do. And my mother was very much um, kind of a bit of a stage mother, so she pushed me into beauty pageants. And um, I was in a few of them. I was a Miss Snow Carnival Queen. And, uh, and then I entered the Miss, uh, what is it, the younger one, the, the Miss Junior Miss pageant. Okay. Uh, and then I was first runner-up in my state. And then I went on to win Miss New Hampshire and was in the Miss America pageant when I was 18. Wow. And that was pretty uh, cool. That was yeah. very incredible, very competitive. Oh, yeah. my God, it was competitive. So Especially like, from the southern states, you know. So like, like yeah. what was your like? What was your talent? Like, what did you do for it? I sang. You sang. I sang a medley. Yes, I love and it. Um, yeah, and I loved it. The swimsuits then were very coy. You know, we had the little panels, not like now. You know, with no. the thongs. You know, we're talking about the seventies, so you know, yeah. people were very covered up you know mm-hmm. and and from and so like from there you were kind of right because then you went to drama school from um doing that um and yeah. did at drama school did you always want to do tv and film or were you very much i'm going to be a, a kind of on the stage i'm going to work on broadway like like what was your kind of thought process at that point well i was a theater and then tv film major like i had okay. a dual major Okay. And so I was able to kind of do a lot of acting in front of the camera and also do a lot of stage. And I went to a great drama school, Northwestern. It had a fantastic, um, you know, uh, reputation for theater. 
And when I graduated, I just knew that I was going to move from New Hampshire to New York City by myself. I was very driven or very naive, whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had no idea how hard it was. Yeah. And so, yeah, 21, I graduated and uh, went to New York. I didn't have an agent. I had no money. I lived in a little, you know, cockroach-infested apartment all by myself. Love and um, I didn't know very many people. And so I just kind of made the rounds, you know, yeah. I took my little resume and I went door to door knocking on doors and got an agent. And so I was just really lucky. I got a, my first job in a month. I did an American Airlines commercial. That was my oh, wow. very first okay. job. And it's kind of crazy because as an as a um, acting lecturer, we always tell our young students that um, out of a class of twenty, in about ten years' time, only four or five years will be working. Um, it's that difficult. It's that yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I don't think young people understand how difficult it is to actually break into the actual industry and to keep going at it as well. Um, I think living in a world where we've got the X factor and um, people are expecting to be kind of famous on social media. They just expect that hard work not to happen. Um, so are you are you surprised that you are still working in the industry now after all uh, these years? I, I actually did, like had a bit a very big break, you know, yeah. where um, I was sort of very under the radar and just doing theater. Like yeah. I was doing a lot of indie theater here mm -hmm. in Australia which was really probably the hardest thing I've ever done, more okay. so than anything else, doing in independent theater. Yeah. That circuit where you never know how many people are going to show up. I mean, after having stardom and then going back to this kind of slog where there's no glamour, you know, no. you don't get a dressing room. There's you're, no sharing, you're sharing a toilet oh, with yeah. like 10 other and people. Yeah. I don't know what drove me to do that, but I was driven and I did, you know, a bunch of plays and um and it was a kind of a difficult time for me i had my babies and mm -hmm. it was just a difficult time i kind of felt like i lost my way and i wasn't sure i ever wanted to act again so i went mm -hmm. sing i started singing a lot okay um but i think the bottom line is that you just got to work you just have to have the passion yeah. you have to have the passion and you have to decide that there are no shortcuts to being good yeah you know you have to really put in the work Mm -hmm. And you have to be fearless, fearless in your quest yeah. to be good, to be the best, the very best. To and learn, to learn from absolutely everything you've done as well. Um, yeah. 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 You know, to get rid of your ego and say, well, I was this and that. I shouldn't mm -hmm. be doing that. I mean, I go up for little roles now. You know, I go for all roles if I yeah. feel there's something in it. Yeah. You know, low budget, medium budget. It doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 And I think that's, I think that's what, I, and I think that's what's quite exciting about doing those kind of indie projects as well, is that you don't know how many people turn up. And I think that's what's the excitement about the Edinburgh Fringe. Um, like, um, so I did the Edinburgh Fringe in 2010 and we had a West End cast and we had five star reviews, um, but we were on a really it was a ridiculous time like time slot and I was like are we going to get anybody tonight and and yeah. it was just it was like bonkers so um and you'd be literally going to the box office every five minutes going how many more tickets how many more tickets so yeah I've been there and I've done yeah. that yeah it's it's tough it's yeah. very tough and you yeah. do get to the point where you are tired of that you know mm -hmm. like I don't do that anymore yeah it's kind of like I did it a lot and you've ticked and it now, yeah much more I'm I think now I'm much more particular in where mm -hmm. I put my time and energy because I don't have as much energy you know let's face it yeah yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah yeah no I get you I get you yeah. so um so from there I mean like you've had I mean your resume speaks for itself I mean you were in one of the biggest sci-fi programs of the 1980s V you played um, one of the biggest villains of all time, Diana. You were in one of the biggest soap operas of the 80s and 90s, which was Falcon Crest. You were in Mission Impossible. You yeah. then, um, as you said, you then had that break. Um, and then you kind of came back with a bang um, and you did V 2009. And I remember you appearing from that pod and everyone was like, oh, she's back. Um, that was the best moment. It was I loved all it. 
um and then obviously neighbors is like neighbors is like yeah. massive in the uk it's like huge yeah. it's like iconic so the yeah. fact that you were in neighbors playing another character called diana um no more diana please no no so so tell me about the kind of 80s like like the mission impossible falcon like falcon crest like what was it like to be a star in the 1980s because that's when kind of soap operas were getting big that's when they were kind yeah. of huge mission impossible can was kind of taken on that kind of a team that kind of a charlie's angels um vibe um falcon crest was following in dallas and dynasty and v was just this kind of like star wars on our small screen so so like so like so like so like speak to me about all that I think V was probably the biggest stardom I had without a doubt because that was huge all over the world that was a huge success probably the biggest definitely the biggest thing I've ever done as far as success you know successful viewers Mm -hmm. and that was a crazy time for me because I was on Johnny Carson, David Letterman, Phil Donahue. Like I was on all the talk shows. I was on magazines. I was, I was very, very, I had that moment where I was very hot, you know, like not hot, like hot looking, but you know, but you were, but, yeah, but you were hot looking as well, Jane. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but then there were these like choices that I had made, you know, there's this kind of fork in the road and I made choices that probably didn't, exponentiate you know expand on my career instead mm. it sort of smothered my career okay and the choices were that i had a chance to go with icm the biggest agency they wanted me and i was um intimidated by my agent at the time who didn't want to let me go so i didn't go on to a bigger agent i stayed with more of a middling agent okay um they wouldn't let me out of my contract a v to do north by south there was a huge mini series oh, yeah you wanted me to star in my contract wouldn't let me out and there were other opportunities that i couldn't do so by the time i could get out of my contract um i was offered a mini series called the covenant with michelle phillips and jose farrar and i thought this is going to be big but instead it was a repetition of a role of diana but in a human form yeah and there was no time to rehearse. Mm-hmm. I went right into it. So I kind of repeated what I had already done. Yeah. And that sort of put a little bit of a cool on my career after that. Mm. Um, and I wasn't offered a lot of things. And then Falcon Crest came along. And it wasn't, looking back, it wasn't a great role. I played the nanny of one of the characters, but it was very political. There were a lot of stars of the show, you know, big yeah. stars of the show. And to walk into that show and get the same good storylines was actually very difficult. Mm-hmm. So my storyline always sat a little bit beneath everyone else's and I never got to really explode. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so that was not really a career mm-hmm. move that brought me to the next level. Then I did a short-lived series called The Highwayman about a flying truck. Yeah. which also was not a great, you know, as yeah. far as career moves. And do you and think, kind of, do yeah, you think like, do you think, um, like one thing that we see in the kind of UK is that our soap operas are massive. Um, but when actors try to move on from the soap operas, they tend to get typecast and they can't yes. really find a lot of work post that because they keep getting stereotyped as the character they played in either EastEnders or Coronation Street. Um, do yeah. you do you feel that was kind of happening to you on the kind of V yes. on the kind of V scale? Yep. Okay. Exactly the same. I think, and also the V series, you know, we went from this very prestigious mini series with lots yeah. of prestige to a series that was kind of made fun of, you know, people kind of took the, the piss out of it because it was sort of a soap opera. Yeah. It didn't keep the integrity of the original mini series. Yeah. So it was just like what I really needed was a great agent to guide me. And I didn't really have that. Okay. You know, and I think because of that, uh, that was that moment in time where things kind of went sliding a bit down. And uh, and then, you know, I kind of sat around for a year. I did, I wasn't getting a lot of work. And then I got Mission Impossible, 
which was a big step up for me. It was very, a lot of people wanted that role. And I mm -hmm. ended up in, in America, you know, I ended up in Australia for two years, but then I met a man. And you met your and, husband. Uh, and that was it. I, I could have gone back. And yes, I was, you know, kind of my, my career was starting to on the rise again, mm -hmm. but um, I fell in love. I fell like mm. incredibly in love. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I didn't even think about it. Like I just went, I'm leaving, you know, and then my agent was going, what are you doing? You know, mm. there's all this opportunity for you. And you're just like walking away to marry an Aussie. You know, it's like, I don't know what I was doing. I just did it, you know. And did you ever stop and go, what the hell? Like, or did you just have that? I'm, this is what I'm doing. And I'm really excited. And I can't say, I, all I can say is I, I am so grateful I did it. Yeah. Because so much you know i think it was my awakening as an mm -hmm. artist my awakening as a person my spiritual awakening i mean so many things were afforded to me that maybe if i'd stayed in la i would never have had yeah and the kind of scene in australia is completely different as well from la new york london it's 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 very um it, it's that old meets new. It's um, they've got that classical aspect of their performances, yes. but they've also got that contemporary nature as well, which is really yes. exciting to be like to be part of. Um, so I take yeah. it after after you met your husband, um, that's when you had your career break. No, because I immediately got a job on a okay. TV show called Clue. You know, Cluedo. Oh, Cluedo, yes. And I got the lead in that. I was Mrs. Peacock. Love so, it. Okay. Yeah, I know. So that sort of like immediately happened, you know, and I okay. thought, oh, this is easy, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I did that for a couple of seasons. And then I started working a lot because there was a lot of American content shooting in Queensland at the time. Okay. So I did a lot of American TV shows like Flipper and, you know, kind of all these kind of funny little tv shows like guest starring in them okay yeah and so that was kind of great uh and then i moved into doing some australian television guest stars and then it all just stopped after okay. i had my baby i had my first baby um and then i just couldn't get work it was like mm. bizarre okay i think i'm not really australian enough you know australian television is very australian yeah yeah um, the content and is not yeah. did you find like did you find yourself that you weren't australian enough but you weren't also now american enough either so you kind of that's fell, right yeah you fell into that kind of like pit of who where do and i belong I yeah too, like i was the roles that i play were not the roles that are in australian television mm -hmm. you know my the roles that i usually play are very strong characters you know they're they're certain types of characters and um and there wasn't much for me really uh from for an american to come into these shows there's you never see americans in their tv shows maybe once every year mm. but there was very little work it might have to do with i had two children very quickly uh i was just in that stage where maybe i was lost my mojo when i was a mom you know mm. yeah yeah Which what happens and that was a really hard period for me because i wasn't sure like who am i you know i was always an actress always a performer but you but, but also you've got that focus has now changed like you were like you were jane badler the actor but now you're jane badler the mother as well yes. and and that focus is completely different um and so you, different. yeah and you and like you do hear that a lot actually you hear that um especially women struggle after they've had children to to continue within theater within film um because because our working conditions are completely ridiculous like you're filming all hours um like when do you have yeah. time to learn your lines like there's like all this kind of stuff um yeah it's very stressful i mean i think that that's probably part of it too so that's when i started doing a lot of the indie theater you know yeah. like i i started you know doing a lot of that kind of stuff just to get myself up to scratch and i was studying and i was acting and doing plays and i was a mom and you know i was doing all that but i think i got very discontented with that and uh realized that that wasn't feeding me either 
Mm-hmm. And then I moved into the cabaret thing, you know, and I did three albums and I wrote an album and I sang and I toured. So, so, so let's talk about your singing career because um, I, the three, the three songs, I, I mean, I love everything you've done, but yeah. the three songs that really stick to me are Men Who Lie, because um, yeah. I love, I love the lyrics, I love what's behind it, and I love the video, I think it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I love your cover version of Can't Get You Out of My Head. <laughs> yes, um, I love that. I, like, why, like, why did you pick that? Like, why that song? I love the idea of spinning it on its head you know, because it was kind of poppy and up and it was disco and dance and the way Kylie did it, which was fantastic. And I thought, well, what about if you make it into some incredibly obsessive, delusional woman who was like, you know, kind of, you know, targeting some someone and just- It was dark. Like, like crazy, like a crazy yeah. person, you know? Yeah. And I just thought that was kind of a cool way to do it, to slow it right down. Yeah. And so that's kind of like what I did with it. And I, I loved just loved it. it. I thought it was yeah. so cool. No, you know? I no, I absolutely loved it. I had um there was um I had students who were doing a piece of physical physical theater and they were wanting a song that was um that was really dark and was actually about kind of um a kind of cult um and that kind of like following and that kind of fellowship of this dark person and I made them listen to that and they picked it so um oh, and 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 it was an incredible nice. piece of work I loved it um oh, nice. That's and, great. and the other song I love is I own the the sky and um, one of your latest oh, ones yeah. Um, and what I loved about it was that it was completely, you could see your journey as an artist from mm. Men Who Lie to I Own The Sky. It was, it was like a journey that you had, that you had been on in your writing, yeah. in your style, in your voice. Um, yeah. So, so who do you work with when you are singing? Is it, um, do you, um, do you have a special group of people you work with or are you very independent? Like how did the whole singing thing come around? Tell me about that. You know, I, I am a very, I'm probably very fickle. I'm always picking new people as my journey keeps moving forward. And uh, the first, the Men Who Lie was the most incredible, you know, beginning of my career as, you know, my kind of career as a cabaret artist because I was working with uh, a guy named Jesse Shepard, who was a very edgy, independent singer-songwriter. And he asked me, would I be the voice of Sir? That was the name of his group, Sir. He wrote all those songs. And because he brought me in, who's dramatic, who's an actress, we took the songs from a very monotone, kind of very avant-garde, experimental kind of band into me as this cabaret artist, singing them and infusing them with this kind of woman who's super bored at home, who's uh, living on Xanax and whiskey. And she's this delusional woman who's, you know, kind of talking about all of that, men who lie. And, you know, it was became this kind of campy kind of, it was just a cool thing to do, Mm -hmm. to have this me with him, you know? Yeah, yeah. And And so, yeah. Do you, and when you're doing cabaret, I take it then you've created this whole character and yeah, um, yeah okay. Um, and do you, and is that in all your cabaret? Are you the same character or are, you, or, or are you different characters in every cabaret you do? Well, I was that character for two mm-hmm. albums. I did two okay. albums. The second album, we had a bit jazz infused. We brought in a very well-known jazz composer and he infused it and produced it. Then the third album, was uh, about betrayal and revenge. And I wrote, I wrote that with two other artists. And because Jesse liked to write the music and I now wanted to write. Mm-hmm. So I wrote that and that was, uh, that was called, oh my God, I forgot the name of it, Addiction. I can't even remember the name of the album. Like, like what's wrong with <laughs> Oh my God, I could show it to you. But um, I mean, that was like songs called Addicted to You and Betrayal and Revenge. It was like one of those things. And then um, the last thing I recorded actually was with a very well-known producer named Fernando Garibay. He did the Born This Way album with oh, wow. um, Lady Gaga. And I actually sang on my late son's song, One Love. Okay. He did a song called One Love about one love, one consciousness, and it wasn't finished. So we wrote a whole other part to it that I sang. 
Oh, wow. Okay. And the guy, uh, I went into the studio here. He was in my, uh, L.A. and we recorded it. And it was like a whole new way of recording. I'd never recorded that way. Okay. It was a whole other level. And uh, I just love the way my voice sounds because mm. he is all about the voice, the woman's yeah. voice. And so yeah. that's the last thing I did. That was about six months ago. And we just released that. Okay. Um, and um, other than that, I don't do too much singing these days because I'm really spoiled now that I've worked with him. Yes. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's that kind of thing. You're as good as your last project as well. So, yeah. I don't want to ever sound like less than that. You know, yeah, and he was yeah. a great singer. So I think, well, who, you know, and he's very expensive. So I'm not <laughs> I love it. It's all yeah. about the money. Um, yeah. Exactly. So, it's all about the money, John, and it is. It is all about the money. I know. I know. It's hard. I can't say it, but it is. You it know? is. I know. I don't think I could ever go back to independent theatre again. It's too much. I know. So, too yeah. much. We've done it. I know. Next. We've done it. I've ticked that box. I've ran Take to my it. box office. Oh. Tell me how many tickets have I got? Um, I so, um, so going, so going back, you then. So then V um 2009 appeared and you um the first season was amazing um and we were so excited by it um because it was this re-envisioning and um yes. and and Anna um, was the new Diana. Um, she was amazing. Yes, the cast big star now big yeah star. yeah I mean she was in she's been in Homeland um she's done loads of stuff yeah. um and she was in that movie with Ryan Reynolds and uh she just yeah. did green uh, I don't know she's amazing yeah um and then and then and then it was announced that they were going to start bringing previous actors from the original series and I and I have to say I have to agree with what you said earlier the mini series um was so iconic because it was so well written it was so well produced it was so well directed the cast were incredible and the mini series started like no sorry the um, tv series started like that um, and yeah. then all of a sudden it just got a little bit more kind of chaotic as it kind of went on yeah, totally. um, yeah, like like yeah, like you were getting forced into a marriage, and then there was just oh. it was yeah. I was like that. that getting didn't married happen. in a lizard suit it went so hard. It was, it was just too ridiculous. much. Yeah, yeah. And so, was it? Were like, were you trying to get out of your contract for that season? Was that the season you were trying to get out of your contract? Of the say of, of the new V. Yeah, off the new V. Yeah. Are you talking about the new no, say, the no, I was talking about sorry, the so sorry, I kind of jumped. That's like where my oh, yeah. hair goes. So um when you talked about previously about trying to get out of your contract to do other programs, yeah. was it during the the actual TV series you were trying to get out of, or was it the mini series you were trying to get out of? No, it was the TV series, and it was because it was cancelled that we right. got out of our contracts. Okay. They cancelled it after one season. Yeah. And, and so then I was free. Okay, but that must yeah. be so. But that must be so frustrating for you as an actor, knowing that this TV show wasn't going the way you had hoped, and you were trying to get out of oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think we, were, we were all very frustrated. I, I yeah. think yeah, all the actors were. Yeah, totally. yeah. Um. Yeah. So so yeah. So V two thousand and nine, you come back season season two. Um. Obviously, they had to get Diana because she is the queen V. Um. And you appear out of this pod, um, which was brilliant. Um, yeah. And then you have a very exciting season. Like the season was pretty gripping. I I loved it. So yeah. What was so what was it like filming? Um sci-fi series that you've already done what was the differences from the 1980s to the 2009 what did you find as an actor well you know first of all the special effects was completely yeah. different i mean yeah. it was now at a level that was so high yeah i mean then like when i did the rat eating or the or the guinea pig eating scene yeah. that took like a whole day of you know putting prosthetics on my neck and on my face and people pumping air through it. Now, all you do is act on a green screen and they take a few photos of you and then everything's put in later. You <laughs> know what I mean? It's like so yeah. much easier. And, uh, and, they, and the special effects were incredible, like yeah. in that series. Yeah. You know, there was so many, like when Morena opens her mouth, it's like, ah, you know, yeah. teeth, this. I mean, they Scary. were pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So that was a huge difference. And uh, you know, for me as an actress, I mean, I didn't really get to kind of 
you know, break out because they mm -hmm. kept me in the dungeon the whole time. Yeah. And when they finally got me out near the end, when I finally felt like, you know, a real war could start between yeah. me and the fighting of my daughter, because I'm the only one who had the same power as her. Yeah. Uh, finally, they kill me. I know. You know. I know. And I just thought, of course, they're going to kill me because I was number 11 on the call sheet. They don't, they don't, they don't. And this is the truth. And I hate to say this, but if I was number two on the call sheet, I wouldn't have been dead. No, you know, I would have been in, in a, in a huge role opposite yeah. her fighting her Yeah. But because they brought me on as a guest star who kept going. There was nowhere for me to go. They had to no. get rid of me. Yeah. I loved, I, but I did, I did love, I mean, I, I know what you're saying about um, the keeping you in this kind of dark dungeon, but what I did love about that was your acting scenes were so personable because it was just you and say one or two other people. That's right. um, and, and the acting was just really believable and really real. And I, I mean, I just, I mean, I loved it. I thought it was great. But then when you did get killed at the end, I was like, Jesus, what have they well, done? Well, they were trying to make me into a good person. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't want the audience to know, was mm -hmm. I good or was I not There was that good. question constantly. Yeah. yeah, like the question is that maybe everyone thinks I'm good when I come, when I say to them all, I want a, a life where everyone's at peace, where everyone's mm -hmm. one. And then what happens if really I'm as bad Turn as it. her? Exactly. You know, I'm a fucking badass, you know? Yeah. So when they would bring the camera in, I would always give a little look like, oh, maybe she's not as good as she thinks, you know, because yeah. I think that's so much more interesting than if I'm some kind of little Snow White, do you know? I love that. And I think, and I think that as a viewer, that's what I loved watching was like, oh, is she good? Is she bad? Right. Like, like what's happening here? And it was those questions. And, yeah. and when we're trying to win your granddaughter around as well, and I was like, oh, is this a good, is she going to be using her as a chess piece? Like what's That's going right. on? <laughs> so, um, exactly. yeah. I mean, it was, it was fun. Look, it was just such a thrill to be back in American television, which I hadn't done in 20 years. Yeah. I hadn't been back to America. And I forgot when it rains, the umbrellas go up. Your trailer, your own personal trailer, is filled with granola bars and nuts and all sorts of, and your own pantyhose and your bras. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Do I get that here in Australia? No. I'd be lucky if I have a chair to sit on. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I love like that. it's so different here. Yeah, yeah. So that was like, whoa! I'd forgotten, you know, what craft services was like. You know, like every food you could ever want is there. You I know, love it's like. American television is super fun, you know? And you, and so you were, I mean, like you were filming in America um, in the, in 2009, 2010. Um, and then just after that, the whole Harvey Weinstein thing came up. Um, and you have obviously lived through the 70s, 80s, 90s now. Did the kind of Me Too movement, what, like, did you, ever experienced anything like that during your time um, as as a woman um, being um, casting um, in rehearsal? Like, can you just speak a wee bit about that if yeah. you can? I, I, I experienced a lot, mm. of course. And I think I was of the generation where we just accepted, like, of course, no one ever sexually, like, you know, like I was maybe assaulted, but I was never raped or, you know, mm. in, in the way that would have been so harmful to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, but as it is over time, these endless, you know, powerful men in situations where they might mistreat you or they might treat you a certain way over time, I think it does wear away at your self-confidence. Yeah. I definitely came from a generation where we just took it. We didn't say anything. And now it's just so wonderful to see women speaking out. And a lot of the lines are blurred now. I think men are, I, I think men are afraid now to, are. To, to, to act like that because they know mm -hmm. that ultimately women are not as afraid as they once were to speak yeah. out. Yeah. And I think what's been amazing um, is to hear women's voices, um, mm -hmm. um, which we've never really heard before, um, and to hear them so powerfully as well. Um, and I really hope this is now the end of that whole kind of um, that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're both rolling our eyes, but um, yeah, probably but, not. 
No. I mean, it's so deeply ingrained misogyny in so many different areas of our lives, politics, yeah. you know, you know, movie making. I, I just think it's going to take time. It, but I do, I do, I do feel as a teacher, I'm very passionate having, mm -hmm. having, having moved from acting lecturing back into secondary high school teaching. I'm very passionate about young women having a voice. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's amazing when I see young women speaking out, like telling yeah. their male peers, that's not acceptable, don't talk to me like that, blah, blah, blah. And, and I, as a male teacher, I think it's my responsibility to, to enable them to have that voice and to give Absolutely. them the support um, to, um, to know how to use their voice properly. And I think that generation of young people, by the time they come up, I think there will be a difference. Um, I mean, I think I'll still continue. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you? Um, so you've so you've got loads of stuff happening. You're writing a book. You're producing. So how so how do you get into your like head space of being a producer of film and TV? How did that happen? You know, it happened because I was very lucky to meet another producer in LA. Okay. Um, and I bought a script. Um, well, I, this is just the rec most recent. I, I used to produce a lot. I used to produce movies and give my son roles, but uh, more recently now I now I don't do that. And uh, I, I met this producer and I bought a script and he raised the money for it. He raised you know um, a lot of money and I ended up being in it. You know, I had the third lead in a in a, in a film called Freefall, which is coming out uh, hopefully this year, and. Um, and I played uh, the evil housekeeper in that. And off the back of that, that same group were really crazy. They really loved my work in it. And there was another script that I um, was wanted to get done. So we've been very involved in that in the last year. And now it's happening. We've got this young, incredibly talented woman director. She's 30 and she's directing it. And we're going to Utah. And I've got the lead in that one, so Love it's it. very scary to me. I can't. I haven't really carried a film. I can't remember when. Do you know? It's been yeah. many, many years since I've carried a film or a TV show. You know. But and I mean, it's been but a I mean, Jane. Time. Yeah, but Jane, you've got this kind of personality where people just trust you and they look up to you, and oh, it's oh. no, they do, and it's like completely exciting to yeah. for for me as a fan, um, but also someone who's followed your career since I was like six yeah. or seven, um, yeah. to, um, yeah. to, um, to actually still see you working and to see you doing what you actually love. Um, do you think you're going to have issues kind of separating your head of actor and producer on this? Or do you think you'll be okay? I, I think that, you know, once I, once, you know, up until this point, I'm in on all the producer meetings and I'm involved in everything from location to the script. I'm very involved in the script, but once I arrive in LA, I will not, I will stop being a producer. I mean, okay. I will try not to be too involved because I have a very big role and I, and it's, and it's putting me through a lot of emotions on, yeah. at a very deep level. Yeah. So I actually will need to concentrate yeah. on blowing, you know, really being, being my everything for that. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you yeah. speaking speaking about your role and how you get into that? Do you is there a methodology that you follow when you're acting? Um, obviously, at drama school, we always do Stanislavski, and I'll do, and like we do um, Hagen as well. Do you um, have you continued with that, or have you found your own way of working? How do you channel those deep emotions? You know. I, I, with this particular film, I'm working privately with an incredible acting coach named Ivana Chubbuck. And I would say that she definitely uses your own personal pain, but, but not in a detrimental way, in a way so that you can win, so that you can use your trauma and your pain and work it out, work it through in order to overcome it. Okay. And so we've been working very intensely over the last few months. And, uh, and then once I get to LA, uh, I will probably work with her a bit more. Um, but you know, I'm definitely been studying it, even though it's a month out, I've been working on the script myself every day and I'm learning all my lines. I want to be like super prepared because mm -hmm. it's a very emotional role. So I need to 
feel pretty fearless yeah. on the set. They're not yeah. really worrying about anything, you know? And and once you learn your lines, then everything you can start playing with the part you because yeah. you know what you're actually saying. Um so last year you um lost your son. Your son died. Um and um you basically um have wanted to just kind of celebrate his life and um, have a legacy for him so do you want to speak about about that at the moment yeah i mean it's very no one ever thinks you know you always think these things will happen to others you know mm. um and the journey that my life has taken has been extraordinary you know i mean um just to have a son like like i had he was the most extraordinary child the kind of kid that comes along once every i'm not saying it because i'm being a mother but he was extraordinary i mean he mm. was beyond beautiful um and uh you know he was so brilliant and so talented and so unique he was non-binary and he did not believe in labels uh, from a very young age he was very vehement about the fact that he would dress however he chooses to dress in a private school when no one was doing that love it no one yeah there was no one but him wearing mm. a, a girl's dress to the prom, you know? Breaking those boundaries. So yeah. 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 So fearless, so brave. And and mom, he he kind of had this kind of spiritual outlook on life that um that there was no such thing as gender. That, you know, he was there was people should not be judged, female, male. Like he saw things in a way that was so unique and mm. he was extraordinary. But you know, he also struggled terribly with a very profound sleeping disorder. Like mm -hmm. I don't think too many people would have a sleeping disorder where you actually can't sleep, you mm. know? And we really tried everything for him and uh, it caused him to be a bit, you know, psychotic and had hallucinations and he couldn't really, I think it was just very difficult. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he started to, um, you know, take sleeping pills at a very young age uh, from the dark web and uh, medicate himself so that he could sleep. Yeah. And that kind of led to a very young brain being affected by medications that a young brain shouldn't be, you know, privy to. Especially, especially at that age where your brain is still developing as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with gender and he was, you know, in his mind was different from other people's mm -hmm. minds. He was just extraordinary. And so despite all that, you know, he, he became addicted to some very, you know, to heroin and other drugs and, he kind of moved to LA and uh, we tried to last six years of his life were what a journey that was, you know, mm. rehabs, this and that and sober companions. And I mean, we were there for him every step of the way, but yeah. ultimately I think, I really think he found life probably a little too difficult, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he really did. He really struggled. But in the meantime, he had this huge body of work. He mm. created books of poetry, screenplays, short films um he he's he has a feature coming out that he start that he's one of the uh, leads in that i just found out about they're sending me uh i just i'm looking at the film i don't know when i want to have courage to do it yeah yeah but he also left behind a lot of music and so last year we released his music his first album uh with his brother sam who's an extraordinarily talented uh digital animator artist okay and he created these extraordinary music videos with harry as an avatar oh wow and okay. they take you into these incredible places um and it's culminating with dream which celebrates people of all types there are trans in it there are women that look like men there are chubby women slim women men you know acceptance way of young people who are don't fit into boxes yeah and we had andrea pezik starring in it who's one of the most famous trans models in the world and it's the most extraordinary celebration mm. and that was the final video we did it now has a million views and we finished that and so it was quite it was quite an extraordinary year wow. i'm very proud of what we did yeah how did you um this is quite a personal question but how did you find dealing with your grief during covid during lockdown was that was like was that a good thing or was that a bad thing that the fact that you weren't able to do like go and see people or go and do things like did you find it quite 
a time where you could just be yourself and be on your own to take in that grief or did you need to see people did you need to um, be around others you know I did not the thing when you're in deep grief is people are exhausting mm -hmm. and it's not that people are people are beautiful and my friends are so beautiful but every time I interact with anyone it takes away it's exa exhausted me yeah and there's just no way and it's not a judgment but there's just no way that anyone can possibly understand unless they've lost a child you know and I get emotional what that's like you know mm -hmm. that's just it's yeah. beyond anything you can imagine mm -hmm. so you don't really want to explain it so during COVID I was lucky enough to have months and months of lockdown yeah there was no social obligations and I didn't need to make any excuses I had my beautiful husband we bunkered down we cooked every night we watched movies we were there for each other and we kind of had this cozy little hideaway where we could just be together yeah and it was really for us it was the most perfect timing really okay yeah okay um what what is your kind of hope for the kind of future um looking at your son's legacy looking at your legacy's work like what do you actually hope for this world this ever-changing world that um that um over the past couple of years we have seen the kind of um right-wing politics take a rise again um and we're now hopefully evening that back out again but but what do you hope for the kind of future you know, I sure hope that people have learned from COVID. Um, you know, there's been so much loss. There's been so much grief. There's been so much isolation. And I know a lot of people feel angry about the way governments have handled things. But ultimately, if we look at this as maybe a sign, some kind of a sign to humanity of one climate change, because so many things are caused by climate change, and perhaps COVID is one of those things from the deforestation you know that these viruses are allowed to spread um and the idea that who knows how long we have you know and is death and life you know we, we look at death as some kind of taboo thing grief death things that people don't want to talk about maybe we can be more open put these yeah. things out yeah let's, let's discuss it like we discuss dancing or light yeah. or death these, should, these topics should all be in the Mm -hmm. circulum of, of schools this is yeah you know buddhism meditation mindfulness yeah. these are all things that you know if all of us could practice you know acceptance and love not judge people you know it's been such a year for you know the gay community the lgbtq the trans community uh, black lives matter i mean what a year it's been yeah for, for all these issues that have come to the forefront mm -hmm. um and if we could just have a little more acceptance and love people, not be afraid of people for their differences, you know, which is what I try to do with, with anti-boy, the anti-boy legacy. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's hard. I think like what you just said there, um, I have, I have mental health problems and have contemplated suicide several times. Um, and, um, when my mum passed away when I was 21, um, people are really oh, yeah yeah, very yeah people are very uncomfortable hearing about grief and they're very uncomfortable talking about mental health but actually for me mm. i i need them to know that actually i'm not doing okay today or that um actually do you know what i really want to speak to my mom and i miss her like um and and exactly. And it's it's very it's very weird. These like these things that we all go through, we all suffer mental health, we all will die. We all know people who are going to die, but no one wants to talk about it. It's just it's very bizarre. So um so that I know. yeah. I, no one wants to talk about, you know, addiction. No. Yeah, yeah. Um I know it's it, I couldn't agree with you more. Mental health, addiction, death. Do you do you yeah, um what, i agree with you what what do you feel um you're going to do after COVID has gone it stopped what is the first thing you're going to do mm. do you know are you are you that's good a good question you know what this is a amazing <laughs> well it's like so amazing when you you know you've asked that um i have I hope our internet connection's okay because it looks like it's just gone a little bit crazy. Yeah. But hopefully it's okay. No, no, I think 
Good question. You know, I went through a period where I did not want to dance, okay? Don't, I don't want to dance in clubs. I didn't want to dance with my, I just didn't want to dance. Yeah. And I really feel like dancing. Like, I want to dance. Let's get some clubs opening up for my age group. You know, not that, not that electronic rave shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, let's get some good soul, R&B. Disco. You know what I mean? Let's yeah. get some soul music. You know, I want yeah. to get out. You know that that touches me here. Not that I have to be on drugs to enjoy. <laughs> and um, you know, I want to get out there and 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 just kind of be free. Yeah. And and enjoy. You know, yeah. enjoy the freedom that we hopefully we'll have again. Do I actually, I actually, I actually laughed because um, when I woke up this morning, because obviously Jane, you're over in Australia, and there's a nine-hour difference, so I'm waking up. Jane's going to bed. Um, but um, I woke up and I was going through Instagram, and I started. And I kind of just gave you a round of applause because you've just done your first contemporary dance class. Um, and oh, yes, yeah, yes. and and like I was lying in bed going, yes, like just amazing. I just I love it. I love it. I so, did. Oh my god, that was that's a whole other story. I could do a whole podcast on that. I love it. I love it. I think I'm going to start cooking. Like um, Graham, my fiance, got me cooking lessons for my Christmas. So I'm um, so like I love to cook um and obviously i'm just obsessed by the great british bake-off and all that kind of stuff so um as soon as lockdown ends and we're back right. to the kind of normal i'm going into cooking school and i'm going to start cooking that's what i'm going to do so yes um, totally, totally. so jane um how can my listeners get you on social media what is your tags um well jane badler world is my instagram and my Instagram is more personal um, and my Twitter, which is also Jane Bather, I get probably a bit more political, you know, in, and express more my views on things. And I love to kind of find amazing articles and films and kind of just retweet that. But um, I'm not very active on Facebook, but it's Jane Bather. My fans are more active than I am. And I, <laughs> there's a lot going on on my Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> so like that. Yeah. But yeah, Jane about the world is kind of, I'm, I'm trying to kind of get my head around TikTok. You know, I did do one TikTok where I was in, when I pretended, well, I was, I did this series of actor series where I'm like talking to my agent, All right. telling me like to get naked, that I have to get naked for an audition or I have to, you know, and I'm kind yeah. of going, what? You know? <laughs> so I, kind of, okay. I kind of like thought, oh, I'll do a series like that, but that kind of, I think I did one because yeah. it's so much effort. It's so TikTok's much effort. really hard. Like, like it's so hard. I'm seeing all my students do it, and my niece and my nephew. I'm just like, how do you have the time? I know. How do you do get, it? I need a director to live with yeah. me. Come I'm just like, can you get your homework in? No. Exactly. But can you do a TikTok? Yes. Yes, and real and an IGTV. Just oh my that. god. It's too much. It's too much. Jane, I have to say a huge thank you. You've been amazing to talk to. Um, thank you. How are you? It's literally just been a conversation that I've wanted to have for a long time that feels like I'm being speaking to a friend. So thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. And I'm so in love with that accent. I could sit here forever listening to you, really. <laughs> oh, I, oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jane. It's great. I loved every minute of it. Thank oh, you. Thank you. I hope you like this week's podcast. Life isn't all diamonds and rosé, but it should be. So until next week, take care. <laughs>